You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Hey, this is actually one of my uh, favorite gatherings uh, that we do. Uh, and sometimes like, uh, sometimes it's interesting because if, if you don't, if you ever pay attention and you kind of check it out, like we meet in a fishbowl. And so like normally when I'm up here teaching to you, I can see that people are like looking in the door, looking in the windows. And sometimes I just want to be like this, you know, hey, come on, come on in. And uh, the other day he had said something to me like, hey, you guys, you guys seem to like to eat. And I said, you should come eat with us. And that, uh, and that you know, one of the things we do is in, in America, uh, one of the things we've done is we've reduced our worship gatherings to like an experience for an hour on a Sunday morning. And it's kind of like going through a fast food line, get in, get out, get what you want as fast as possible in a way you like it. And yet as we, as we look at biblical Christianity, uh, we see in the early church that there was, there was something important about getting around tables and having meals. That in the early church, like uh, you would see that like Paul would preach so much that uh, a guy would fall asleep and fall out a window and die, and then he'd just heal him and be like, "We're not done yet. Like he's he's fine. Uh, I have more to say." And so, you know, one of the things we constantly ask is, "Hey, even though we live in America and, and we we see our, our Christianity lived out in that way, how can we be biblical? How can we be like the early church?" And this is one of the things that we join with thousands of years of church history as we. Uh, pause and say, hey, it's not just about me this morning. It's not just about what am I going to get or what's, what, what do I get filled with, but it's actually about experiencing Jesus in community. There's something about rejoicing in Jesus with people around us. And so uh, thanks for being here this morning. For many of us, this is new, uh, but to Christians around the world, this is not new. In fact, there's places in the world that think we're really weird because we don't do more of these kind of things. And so I promise you that I will be brief, as brief as I can be this morning, because I know that it's hot in here, and there's food, and there's cool beverages. Uh, But one of the things that that I was thinking about this week as I was preparing uh, for this morning was one of the words that just kept coming to my mind was this word perspective. And so I spent a lot of time in prayer because I'm going, okay, Lord, like, uh, this is a communion gathering, and so uh, we, we want to talk about you and your life and your death and your resurrection. Uh, we want to talk about what communion is, and, and yet you keep bringing me to this word perspective. And the more I prayed on that, the more I got in the word, I felt like uh, God gave me a word that, that I'm supposed to deliver to us this morning. In fact, I think the way that perspective uh, ties into what we're doing this morning is that I think when we pause and we kind of slow down and we do these kind of gatherings, I think when we, when we take communion together, I think what really happens is it's an opportunity for us to adjust or change our perspective. That it's actually a way for us to kind of update our viewpoint. Uh, practically what it means for me, which it probably means for you too, is this week in my life, there's been all kinds of things that I've been faced with. There's been uh, decisions that have had to be made. There's been things that didn't go the way I thought they would go. There were uh, demands put on my life. Some of them I met, some of them I didn't meet. Some of those things I'm still thinking about, probably like you're thinking about. And yet when we come into a place like this, it's an opportunity to go, hey, I don't need to focus what's right in front of me. Rather, it's an opportunity for me to refocus on Jesus. It's an opportunity for me to take whatever happened in my life this week that maybe I didn't do a good job of refocusing in that moment, that it's an opportunity kind of corporately to say, hey, no matter what's going on, even though we all have different experiences, different lifestyles, different walks of life, work at different places, do different things, 
that we can come together and focus on the same Jesus who always has been and always will be. And it gives us an opportunity to readjust, to maybe see things clearly that got blurry, to maybe refocus our attention on Jesus that maybe throughout the week our attention maybe failed a little bit, maybe it got weakened a little bit, maybe it got distracted a little bit. And see, what's interesting about this idea of perspective is perspective actually has two very different meanings, and they kind of meet in the middle. According to the dictionary, this is what perspective means. Perspective is the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface so as to give the right impression of their height, width, depth, and position and relationship to each other when viewed from a particular point. Uh, this is why if I draw something, it's not good, because I, I fail to be able to draw with perspective. If I even draw a stick figure, usually the head's too big or the body's too big, that kind of stuff. But, but when we look at artwork, and, and some of the most beautiful artwork we have, it has this thing called perspective that you would look at it and go, man, it just seems like it leaps off the pages. Now, I'm not a big art buff. Uh, this is just me confessing my, my weakness to you, that I, I'm not an artistic person in that kind of way. I, I'm probably not a person who would go to an art museum, and maybe some of you are, and that's awesome. I'm just saying I can't do it. Where I know people who go to art museums and they would look at a picture and be like, oh, it just speaks to me. I would go, I see red. I mean, I don't know. I see, I see blue, like I, but it's not, it's, not, it's not saying anything to me. And, and, but here's where I can get into perspective is because I consider myself a connoisseur of the internet, okay? Uh, it means I can find wacky things on the internet that are funny, that you can actually manipulate perspective. And what can happen is that if you can get something taken at the right angle, at the right time, at the right moment, you can actually make things appear as though they're not really. Like, you, you can change reality a little bit. So I want to show you this to you. Like, for this first picture, these, these are all pictures that mess with perspective, right? So this is a teapot that makes clouds, Right? I mean, like, anybody have that kind of teapot where you can just make clouds in the sky? It's just perspective, the way they're holding the teapot, the way the camera's focused. This one's, this one's one of my favorite ones. This is a statue of Jesus in Rio who's catching a plane. I mean, I, I mean, maybe Jesus just was really interested in the people on the plane, but that's not what's really happening, but the perspective has changed. I like this guy. I like this one because this is a great question. Is he a really big guy or does he have really small friends? Which is it? Is he a giant or is friends tiny? So it's just perspective. This one's cute, so it's okay if you say, aw, because this is a little boy just catching a ride on the sun. Say, aw. I mean, it looks like he jumped up in the air and just grabbed the sun, and then even though like, the sun's setting, it looks like he's getting taken up. And this is, this is another one of my favorites. This is the moon taking its union break on a satellite. Just got tired. So you all thought the sun set, it just goes to a satellite where it just sits for a while. It's like a, a big golf ball on a tee. See, those are, those are all perspectives. Those are all, the, the person who took that picture got it the right place, at the right angle, at the right time. And because of their perspective, it actually influences what we see and the way that we interpret those pictures. Because none of those are actually what's happening. None of those are actually reality. It's all about perspective. Now, this is why this is important, and this is why we would take time to talk about it on a Sunday morning, is because perspective has another word, another meaning. Perspective is also a particular attitude, a particular attitude towards a way of regarding something, a point of view. See, just like, just like in those pictures that something taken at the right angle at the right time with the right perspective can make seeing things look a certain way, what can happen in your life and my life is if we see things 
at weird angles and different ways at the right time, maybe in the right season, according to the right circumstances, we could actually see things in our lives that aren't real. That we could actually look at our circumstances and the events around us with false perspective. I think that's what Paul was saying when he said, don't fall into the patterns of this world or don't conform to this world, but rather renew your minds. That from time to time, what happens is we need a new perspective. That what happens in our lives is we can tend to believe lies. We can tend to be manipulated. We can tend just to get busy and consumed with what's going on in our lives. And so what happens is sometimes we just need a new perspective. What we need is a bigger, clearer picture of Jesus. And as we get into Matthew chapter 26 this morning, I think what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a bigger, clearer, better perspective. I think as he reveals his truth to the disciples, it's the same truth he reveals to us. And I think if we handle the scriptures correctly this morning, what happens is we get a clear, bigger perspective. We get a bigger image. Our vision becomes clear. All of a sudden, we maybe see the things the way that Jesus wants us to see it. So we're going to look at one passage of Scripture this morning with a few different angles and perspectives. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. It says, Now they were eating, and Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given things, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I think what happens is is, as we look at this, I think Jesus gives us some perspectives to look at. And I want to walk through some different perspectives that I think Jesus gives us this morning. The first one is this. I think as Jesus gathers with his disciples, that one of the things we have to recognize is this is all in the context of Passover. That this is actually in the final week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. It's also Passover week, and so this is the Passover meal that they're meeting at. And here's what they really celebrate at Passover, if we had to break it down kind of quickly, is that for thousands and thousands of years, the nation of Israel has believed that there is one God who is eternal, the creator of all things. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. He is sovereign. That means he rules and he reigns over all things, all people, all places. They believe in a God who is holy, holy, holy to the point that the whole world declares his glory. They also believe that he is a just God. And at the same time, he is a God who cares for his people and pays attention to them. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, when he says that they were eating, as Matthew says, hey, they were eating, they're eating in the context of Passover. And see, nobody goes to the Passover meal and thinks they're awesome. Nobody goes to the Passover meal and thinks they're the personal point of Passover. When, when, when the Jews would celebrate Passover, there was one point, there was one person that was awesome, there was one thing to remember, and that it's the God is a God who delivers his people. The God is a deliverer that God hears the cries of his people, that he pays attention to them, and that when he saw the nation of Israel in slavery under the tyranny of an oppression of a pharaoh in Egypt, he used his might, his power, and his glory to deliver them. And when they would gather for Passover, every year they would slow down. 
they would have some traditions that included eating a meal. And they would remember our God is a God who has delivered us and will deliver us again. That our God is a God who is close to his people. He listens to his people. He cares for his people. He is a God when he sees oppression, when he sees slavery, when he sees tyranny in the lives of his people, he comes to their aid and delivers them from slavery into the promised land. That our God is a God that invites us into a relationship with him that we could have his best, that we could experience his nature and his character, his glory in his heart for us. That one of the things they celebrated every time they gathered for Passover is that God is good. That just like we, we sing that song from time to time, that God is a good, good father, that he acts for our good, he acts according to his glory, that he meets us where we are and he delivers us from our current state into his holiness and his righteousness. In the Old Testament, he promised them a land, the land of milk and the honey. And so one of the perspectives we have is that no matter what's going on in our, our lives, that we can look up. That we can take our eyes off of what's right in front of us and we can focus our eyes on God who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is eternal, that we can see him for who he is, not who we've created him to be. And one of the other things that happens as we look up is we also take time to look within ourselves. That maybe the best way to say it is that we take a look within by we look at ourselves in the mirror. See, the gospel is really good news. And the gospel is good news because it tells us the truth about God and it tells us the truth about ourselves. The reason that it's so important that God is a deliverer is because we are people who need to be delivered. The gospel is good news because Jesus offers forgiveness, but it's good news is because we're people who need to be forgiven, that we're sinners who need to be saved. And see, we might look at Passover and go, well, hey, we're not in a foreign land. We're not slaves. We're not building monuments and buildings for Pharaoh. The reality is that every single one of us is a slave to sin, that every single one of us has shackles that have bound us, that every single one of us have separation between us and God in our hearts are plagued by sin. And see, here's the truth. We believe that according to the scriptures, there is an infinite God who is the creator of all things. He is eternal. He is powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is sovereign. He is holy. The entire earth declares his glory. He loves us and he cares for us. And yet, we rebel against him. We belittle him. We belittle his name. We belittle his glory. We actually believe with arrogance that our way is better than his way, that our desires or the things that we desire, that it's more important for us to satisfy our temporary desires and to care about what he desires, what he wants, what his will is, and that we would actually spend time doing things our way, seeking our glory, building our kingdom instead of his. And here's the kicker. We do it all with the brain he has given us with the lungs that he has provided us with, with the air he has put into our lungs, with the, the power that he has given us, we use it to rebel against him, to run from him and do things our own way. In fact, instead of thanking God for the gifts he has given us, we take him for granted. We take for granted the creator, the giver of life, the one who has given us breath, the one who holds the entire universe together. And at times we even dare to stand and shake our fist at him. Because we think we know better. We think our way is more important. And we think we should get what we want all the time. 
In fact, sometimes in our own lives, there's a struggle because we desire to sit on the throne that really God is the only one who should sit upon. And we treat God kind of like a cosmic vending machine. It's our will, our way, our desire, our kingdom until we need him. And then we want to hit the right combinations of button. If I can hit B17, then God should give me what, we, what I want when I want it on my terms. But see, according to the scriptures, God is also a just, right, and holy God. God is a God that cannot wink at sin. He can't just ignore sin. That he can't allow the belittlement of his name. He can't allow us to live this way without providing us with consequences. He can't stand the denial of his name and his glory. That these things do not happen without consequence. And the scriptures say it clearly. That the consequence for our sin... Is the consequence for our rebellion is sin. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That every single one of us will be plagued by physical death, spiritual death, emotional death, even relational death. And see, the gospel is good news because not only do we look up and not only do we look within, but we look back at the cross that God being an eternal, all-powerful creator God who is all-knowing, ever-present, sovereign, holy, 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 just, right, and eternal is also at the same time a God who loves and cares for his stubborn, rebellious, sinful people. And God in his grace and his mercy, rather than pouring out his wrath upon us, sent his son Jesus in the flesh, fully God, fully man, the very nature and character of God. The gospel tells us that Jesus is like the pure, perfect, spotless lamb and that he would die on the cross in our place for our sins. And see, for us, when we look at the cross, it's, it's much like the nation of Israel looking back on the Passover and being delivered because on the cross, the wrath of God against us, against you and me and all people is poured out onto Jesus killing him in our place for our sins. And then on the third day, God raises Jesus from the dead, victorious over Satan, victorious over sin, victorious over death. And the gospel promises us that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in those who believe this is the gospel that we could have right standing with God, not by our own merits, not by our own effort, not by our own works, not by our own goodness, that we could be forgiven, set free, and fully accepted, fully justified by God, by the cross of Christ and in Christ alone. So when Jesus sits at the meal with his disciples and said, this is a new covenant that I give you, what he's saying in kind of our language is this is a promise I'm promising you that you can be forgiven. I'm promising you that you can be set free. I'm promising that you can be reconciled with God. I'm promising you that you can have a right relationship with God. I'm promising you that the same spirit that will raise me from the grave will be the same spirit that my Father deposits in you, that it would now be at work in those who believe. You see, one of the implications of the gospel then is all the things that we're trying to fix about ourselves the lust, the rage, the anger, the bitterness, the addictions, the hurts, the habits, and the hangups that we have had and have followed us around for years, that you and I don't have to try to fix ourselves. You and I don't have the power of life or death. You and I can't resurrect anything. Only Jesus can. 
And he promises us that he gives us the freedom that we don't have to live a life trying to fix ourselves or make ourselves better or try to become yourself 2.0 or 3.0, but rather the same power that raised Jesus from the grave would now be at work inside of you, that his righteousness would become your righteousness, that his life could become your life, that his relationship with the Father could become your relationship with the Father, that you don't have to try to be a better version of you, but rather you would be transformed into his image and his likeness and his righteousness by the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. Which also then causes us to look around at one another. So we look up at God. We look at within ourselves. We look back at the cross and then we look around at one another. See, one of the things I love about Jesus, and one of the things I love about the Gospels, is everything Jesus did was in the context of community. The only times that Jesus broke away for community were the times that he needed to get alone with the Father, and then he always returned back to community. In fact, just if you look at Matthew chapter 26, the very verses we're looking at where Jesus says communion for the first time, it says they met together. He says for all of you, for many, for them, that it's in community together. And yet we live in a time and an age where people are so convinced that being a Christian is just about a personal walk with God and that's only part of it. That our personal walk with God is best lived out in community that you and I were never called to do life alone, that we were never called to worship and love Jesus in isolation, that if we're not part of community, there's all kinds of commandments that Jesus gives us that we can't even fulfill. You can't love one another if you're alone. You can't even bear with one another if you're alone, that Jesus invited us into a relationship with him where the greatest expression of him working inside of us is actually to live it out in community with one another. And yet we've tried to reduce Christianity to something that says, hey, it's just about me, my wants, my needs. I don't need you. You don't need me. Let's put up a fence and isolate from one another. And yet Jesus calls us to a greater community. See, one of the reasons we do things like this is because we're absolutely convinced that we're better together that we place a high value on relationships. We don't just say that because it's a funny catchphrase. We actually spend time eating in circles, getting to know one another because we believe relationships are important. We believe the family of God is important. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 26. He says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Which leads us to the last one. Look ahead. As Jesus gives communion for the first time, he reminds them that what's happening in front of them is significant. That no longer are they going to celebrate Passover, but rather they're going to celebrate a new covenant where they can be adopted sons and daughters of God, forgiven because his body would be on the cross, that his blood would be shed, that he would take the wrath of God for us in our place. And then he reminds them, he says, hey, just, just so you know, this will be the last time I take communion with you, which is kind of a trip if you think about it, right? If you're a disciple, the first time you take communion is the last time you take it with Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I won't do this with you again until I return and all of God's people are together. He says, in my Father's kingdom, that one of the first things we'll do in heaven at the end times when we're all together as we'll sit at a great big banqueting table and take communion with Jesus. And it'll be the, the second time he's taken it, but it'll be the first time he does it with all those who believe. And Jesus says, hey, don't forget I'm coming back. 
that Jesus reminds us that we live in between the first coming and the second coming. And one of the reasons that's important is because Jesus has given us a divine assignment, a divine purpose, and a divine calling. I love the way Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says it. He says that Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That the first time Jesus came to earth when he took on the flesh, he came as a suffering servant. But the next time he comes, he comes as a conquering king. And in the in-between, he created his church the one who he calls his bride. And he says that we are his plan A to announce the kingdom, to live out the values in the kingdom of God, to announce the gospel to as many people as possible before he returns again, that we are called to be a powerful, bold witness. That even us here in Belvedere, Illinois, that we are called to see lives in the world transformed by the gospel until he comes again. And we can't do that alone, but we need one another. So as we gather this morning for communion, as we gather this morning for worship, as we gather this morning to eat this meal together, it's an opportunity for us to look up and be reminded that there is a God who loves us, but he is the creator God, the eternal God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, sovereign God. That he is not just holy, but he is holy, 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 and the whole earth declares his glory. That he is a God who is good, but he's also a God of justice and wrath, but he's also the God of love. And as we look in, we're reminded that we are sinners who are desperately in need of a savior. And we look back and we give praise and we give thank and we treasure up the fact that we are made right by Christ and Christ alone. That the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is now the same spirit that works inside those who believe. And so we boast in Jesus, we rejoice in Jesus, we worship Jesus, and we are satisfied only in Jesus because he is the source of our life, our hope, and our faith. And we look around. We recognize that our lives are actually better because our lives are surrounded by the people who are around the tables with us. We're reminded that we can't do life alone, that we're actually better in the context of family. We're better in the context of community. Even though we might bug each other, even though we might annoy each other, even though we might disagree with one another, that's what families do. And we'll do it until we see Jesus face to face and then we'll spend eternity together worshiping him just like he designed a time for us to look ahead because the day and the hour are unknown. But Jesus promises us that he is coming again and that we are his plan A. That while we were worshipers, we're also like an army. That while we pray, we also go out as missionaries into the world to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. So this morning as we gather, I hope it's an opportunity for us to change our perspective, an opportunity for us to look at God for who he is, an opportunity to be reminded that we are plagued by sin and we are people who constantly need to repent and return to the Lord. And thank God he is the God that returns the prodigal sons and the daughters and he welcomes them home. It's an opportunity for us to look back at the cross and give thanks and rejoice. And maybe if you're here this morning, you say, hey, I look back, but I've never made a decision. I've looked back, but I've never actually repented of my sin. I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never asked him to forgive me. Then maybe that's the reason he has you here today, because he wants to give you new life, a new relationship, 
But that same power that raised him from the grave can now also be at work in you. It's an opportunity to look around and build some friends and have some community. An opportunity to look ahead and think about the way we live our lives so that we could see lives change. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.